Well, good morning, everybody. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star for this, gosh, 13th week, I think, in the book of Hebrews. As we've been looking at this book, we called it Worth It because this writer that we're going to get into here in a second would tell you all the way through this book, Jesus is worth it. He's greater than anything you face. He's greater than anything you're going to go through. He's greater than anything that life's ever going to throw at you. He is worth it. And I think today is going to be just what we all need to continue that pace in our lives, to keep our lives connected with others, connected with God. So go ahead and do me a favor. Turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. If you got your Bibles this morning, if you got your app out, you can go ahead and pull it out. Uh, North Star Church, Georgia, if you go to the app store, it'll get you right there. Or uh, you can read along on the screen you were given a little guide on the way in that'll serve as our reminder so before I get into the message this morning we typically stay pretty apolitical here we don't talk politics we don't get into politics a lot but today I really prayed about it last night and I felt like the Lord wanted me to dive into some water so if you get your feelings hurt today I'm sorry I don't mean to divide the crowd but he let me know that the Saints and Patriots should never play the Super Bowl in Atlanta. That's what he told me. And so I don't know what you want to do with that. That was just what the Lord laid on my heart. I had some pretty rude remarks after the 930 crowd. I said, I said, I'm going to say something political. And I could see Ann on the front row of the first service going, dear God, don't let him say something stupid. All right, don't let him say something stupid. Anyways, but anyways, I, y'all are going, whew, I feel better now. All right, so let's talk about this real quick. We know this about Hebrews. We know that this letter we know who it was written to we don't know who wrote it that's interesting because most books in the bible we got a pretty good idea there may be some there may be some different smart people that have disagreements on it but the the interesting part about hebrews he didn't think the who was important the what he had to say was really important but the who wasn't important right we know that what he had to say was huge We know that the ramifications of what was said, huge. This early church, so let me tell you about this church. They, uh, back then, when you grew up, going to the local tabernacle synagogue was not unusual. That was more normal than not normal. Today in America, you know, probably on a Sunday, roughly 39% of people probably get out and go to a church on Sunday morning. Back then, it wasn't like that. You just went. That's what your family did. You were trained around their belief system. You memorized the first couple books of the Bible. You were pretty frequent synagogue attenders in a community. That's just the way it was done. But, but what it did was it set up a belief system that when the writer writes some of the things he writes, it's written to the belief system of the day because they would read that and go, oh, I see, that's different than how I grew up. Oh, I see, that's not what I thought it was. And so that's a lot of the writings we're going to read today. We're going to read it in that vein and in that fashion because they had a way of doing it and back then back then they were trained around the law right you had moses so we're gonna we're gonna test north star knowledge here right so moses went up on the mountain how many commandments did he bring down 10 don't tell me north star's not a deep church all right that's impressive you guys all knew the answer 10 he brought down 10 commandments now there were 639 other laws that were added to those commandments So when this writer writes 
to this church, these early believers, second generation, they didn't physically see Jesus, but they had met Jesus, but now they're trying to weigh out this new belief system versus an old belief system. And what he's having to say today, what he's gonna write to us today is brand new to them. I mean, like, they don't get it. They don't understand it. It's not, it it's totally flips everything they know on its head. And for some of us, it's gonna flip what we know on our head. See, I didn't, growing up, I didn't grow up with an option on attending church. How many of y'all grew up with a parent or a grandparent that your fanny went to church and you didn't even get a choice? Raise your hand, all right? Y'all's hands went up really quick like you're still in trouble, all right? And so it's like, yes, yes, Lord. All right, so I, I grew up that way too. So some of you may have grown up with a belief system that wasn't Christianity. It may have been another religion or it may have been nothing at all. So what we're gonna talk about today is sort of diffuses whether we had a belief system, whether we didn't have a belief system, and it gets us down to what God wants us to know. Because you gotta think, out of all the things God could have left, why did he leave this? So Friday I was in Jacksonville with a, speaking to a college, a group of students in a chapel service, and I made the comment Friday night, and I thought about it for today, I made the comment Friday, and the comment was, you know, God could have left a lot of stories that he didn't leave, but he left this which must mean he has a reason to leave it. And it may be you. Hebrews chapter 10, we're gonna start reading down in verse number 19. Would y'all stand with me today while we read Compass True North, watching online? I don't think anybody's on the patio today. I feel pretty safe, all right? And so Hebrews, if you are on the patio, God bless you. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, based on everything he talked about last week, the blood the sacrifice, the temple system, how the high priest would go in once a year on behalf of the people. One time a year, he would make atonement for his sin. He would make atonement for their sin. And we learned all this. If you were here last week, you heard it. If you didn't, you can catch up online. Therefore, brothers, since we have, what's the next word? Confidence to enter the holy places. Earlier in Hebrews, he said, have confidence to enter the throne of grace. Now he says, we have confidence based on what Jesus did. We have a confidence to go into the inner sanctum. See, back then you didn't do that. You went to the priest and then you went to the high priest. You didn't go, you didn't go to God. You didn't just go, hey, I need to go straight to God. You didn't, that's not how the system worked. He says now to this early group of believers, You've got confidence to enter the holy place by, what does he say next? By the what? Blood of Jesus. Confidence isn't in you. The confidence in what he did on your behalf. You can go directly to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. And look at what he goes on to say there. By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that freshly slain son whose blood covered our sin. And now he was slain on a Friday. He died on a Friday. He got up on a Sunday. He is now living. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so he paints this picture that we go directly to our heavenly father because we have a great priest 
whose name is Jesus, who has totally flipped the religious order. He's flipped the system. He's, he's changed the switch. It's not what it used to be. Let us then draw near with a true heart. True in God's sight, meaning it's, it's right, it's perfect. In full assurance of faith, which we're going to talk about in chapter 11, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. He paints the picture then. Back then they would do this, this cleansing. It was a sprinkling that would clean the outside of you. But look at what he goes on to say. And our bodies washed with pure water, speaking of baptism, meaning we have given our life over to God so we've been cleaned on the inside. Then he tells us what to do. Let us hold what? What does it say? Fast. That means strong. That means that there's going to be times in life we're going to have things that blow against us. There's going to be times in life you're going to have things that blow against your life. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up. What's the next phrase? One another. To love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging, what's the next phrase again? One another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ, the coming of Christ, drawing near. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning, would you just take a second and ask the Lord to speak to you, would you? Say, God, I need you to speak to me this morning. Would you ask him to make this clear to you? Because you need it. I need it. Father, I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't know how all this works, but I do know this, you do. For some that are sitting in the room, this is all brand new, and, and it's like they're just diving in the deep end of the pool, and God, I've watched you take words off a page it's like they peel off and they stick to our hearts. Father, I've watched you take people that have had an old custom and an old way of doing things and make things new. God, I, I know you can. Would you? Would you today? And God, when we walk out these doors in a few short minutes, God, may we know that you gave us today exactly what we needed. And Father, that is my prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around and introduce yourself to two or three people around you and have a seat. <laughs> all right, all right. So it's interesting the way this writer shifts this. If you've been with us really since the fall when we began walking through the book of Hebrews, a lot of it's been very corporate. A lot of it's been very um, like a flyover of a, it's like a drone of a belief system that he's walked us through a lot of history, a lot of stuff. Today makes the switch to being, being uber personal. Today the, the whole story flips and then he begins to get very intimate into these believers' lives. And he has something pretty incredible to say. As he makes this sort of a hard turn here, 
all of a sudden we begin then to have to make some decisions about what we do with this this man named Jesus and what do we do with this thing called the church and what do we do with this story and he begins to talk about connecting points it's it's no longer just about this overarching belief system he then begins to talk intimately and personally and directly to them and I and I believe I believe directly to us and and then it it leaves us it leaves us with some choices so either I go, yeah, or no, nah, not for me now. I mean, that's sort of where this, this writing, remember, he wrote this to encourage them. They're all in this brand new system called the church. Acts starts the story of the church. Now we're in the system called the church. It's early. It's in its infancy. They're figuring out what the church looks like. And he sort of makes this bend at the end of the story to start referring to some things about the church. Ready? Look, brother, and talk about it. Let's just dive in. Ready? Three points of connecting. Number one, God accepts me because of Jesus' sacrifice, not my performance. We got to get that. Jesus accepts me and God accepts me because of Jesus' sacrifice, not my performance. Look at, look at what the author says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, and through the curtain, that is, his flesh, meaning what Jesus did opened the way for us. So let's talk about this real quick. Many of us have grown up with this thought that my ability to perform for God will declare his, his hand on me or off me. We live in a performance-based world. How many of y'all are in uh, business? Raise your hand if you're in business, okay? Yes or no, for those of you, as many of you that are in business, next year, promotion, raises, bonuses, accelerating the company is based off how you performed in 2019, yes or no? Yes, because if you don't perform better next year, there's somebody else coming that takes your job. That's the way that it works, right? If you're in education, you're a coach, you're, you're, you try to perform, you don't look at the team and go, guys, we're shooting five and five, we'll be great, all right? And so I heard an interview a couple years ago with Gary Patterson at TSU, TCU, and they said, how do you feel about the season? You've got the majority of your team returning. He said, what's positive is we have the majority of the team returning. What's negative is we were five and five last year, all right? And so, you know, it's, it's sort of that, it's, it's a performance-based world we live in. It's how do you perform? I remember being in college, came in a pitch against Norfolk State University. I was at Liberty, nobody on, nobody out, fourth inning, come in, they bunt, 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 grand slam. So I left, nobody on, nobody out. But the scoreboard had different numbers on it. And so it's a true story. But there are some people here that were there that day. And so I remember my coach came to get the ball, and I put the ball in his hand, and I said, Coach, I don't understand why you're taking me out. He said, Mike, let's think about it. You came in with no runs. You left with four runs. Any idea? I went, yes, sir. All right, and I went to the dugout. And so it's performance, performance-based world. He didn't put me out there because he liked me. He put me out there to perform. Spiritually, you got to take performance off. How God feels about you, and I want you to get this. Everybody look at me. All, all eyeballs on me. How God feels about you has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with what he did for you. Your growth towards the Lord has nothing to do with, well, we had a great month in sales. No, 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 no. 
It has everything to do with how the Lord feels about you and what Jesus did. You don't get access to God because you're nice, you're pretty, you're smart, you, you work really hard. You get access to God because of the blood of Christ. You get access to God because when he died on that cross, the temple veil was torn from the top to the bottom, meaning we have direct access, which means this, means this, and I want you to write this out. We're gonna dive in our points. Write this out. God has a plan for me. That's what it means. God has a plan for me, a plan to use you. That's, that's the plan. Well, Mike, I don't feel that way. Well, this screws that up for you, right? Mike, I, I don't think I'm good enough. Well, this really messes it up. Most of the New Testament was written by somebody named Paul that would never get a job on a church staff because of background checks, all right? He had committed some problems there in the past, and so he wouldn't have had a job. God chooses the most interesting people to use. Three things, ready? Don't wait until you feel worthy to talk to God because you never will. You'll never be worthy enough to talk to God. Don't wait until you feel worthy. Well, I've, you know, I've gone to church four weeks in a row. I joined a small group that we'll talk about today. I read my Bible every day. Now I can talk to the Lord. Don't wait until you feel worthy because here's what I'm going to tell you. If you listen that way, the enemy will make you know you're not worthy and you'll never talk to the Lord. Does that make sense to everybody? Don't wait until you feel worthy. Outside that, I want you to write the word prayer. We don't pray when we get everything in order. We pray to get things in order. We don't pray to let God in on what's going on. We pray to remind ourselves God does know what's going on. God doesn't need you to keep him up on what's going on. He wants you to pray so you know you can depend on him. Don't wait until you feel worthy to talk to God because you won't feel worthy and then you'll tell me my prayer life's ineffective and the reason your prayer life's ineffective is because you never feel like you live up to what he already thinks you are he thinks you are worthy not because of you but because of what his son did but second part don't wait until you feel qualified to serve you'll never be qualified mike i don't know enough you never will mike i haven't learned the bible enough you you won't I won't either. Because here's what I've learned about the Bible. The more I know, the more I found out I don't know. Have y'all found that to be true? The longer you walk with the Lord, you won't puff your chest out and pick your chin up. You'll look at it and go, why in the world would God ever want to use somebody like me? He speaks to it every time. I have never, will never figure it all out. But the third part of that is, don't wait until you feel right to do right. Don't wait until you feel right to do right. This early church, he's looking at them going, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Because they, they're battling this belief system of, I broke too many laws, of the spiritual laws, not like laws of the day, but spiritual laws. I broke too many laws, I did do things I should, so therefore I'm unusable by God. All right, let me clear all this up. Everybody look at me. If God keeps breath in your lungs, he has something for you to do. You are worthy, according to him, not me. According to him, you are worthy. He has something for you, not by anything you've done, but by whose blood? Whose blood makes you worthy? Jesus' blood. 
there used to be a song back in the 80s, and it was called, His Gaze Always Passes Through Rose-Colored Glasses, meaning when God looks at you, he sees through the blood of Christ, and he sees what you could be, not just who you are. Because some of what he sees in our lives isn't worthy, and it's not good. But he looks at us, and he considers us worthy by what he did, not by what we did. And that's what the writer's trying to get this church to understand. This doesn't have anything to do with you. This has everything to do with him. I'll tell you, it's one of the biggest spiritual breakthroughs some of you may have in 2019 is when you begin to believe about yourself what God already believes about you. It'll change your life. God could use me. God wants to use me. Nobody else may feel that way, but God does. Ready? Point number two. My closest friends would either push me away from Jesus or push me towards Jesus. Their influence is never neutral in my life. My closest friends will either push me from Jesus or push me towards Jesus. Their influence is never neutral. Let's, let's talk about this real quick. I'm not talking about people that you just work with. I'm not talking about, well, I don't want you to go into your boss tomorrow and go, they're not pushing me towards Jesus, so I can't work with them. All right, that's probably not going to go over well. So I'm talking about your inner circle friend group. So growing up, my, my daughter, th this isn't what I'm talking So my daughter, when she was growing up, we were driving to a birthday party at Sparkles on a Saturday, which that is not fun. All right, and so you're there. She's eight or nine or whatever age. She, I don't remember now. So we're driving to Sparkles. We stopped and picked up a gift, stopped and picked up a card. And she was like, we're driving down 41. She's like, I'm so excited. I said, who is the party for? She said, my best friend, one of my best friends. I said, what's her name? She said, I don't remember. All right, I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I'm like, what do I write in the two columns? I'm trying to go in. That's not the friend circle I'm talking about. I'm talking about that inner circle of friends. Back when I was in student ministry, I used to make this comment all the time. And the comment was this. The comment was, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Okay, you people are pointing you towards the Lord, away from the Lord. So Friday, I'm in, in Jacksonville speaking, and Casey, my son, was speaking at a local FCA. And so, you know, FCAs at all the, all the high schools, they start at like 7, 7.30 a.m. So they go get all the young up-and-comers, right? And so they're like old guys like Mike, you don't get up anymore. So we'll go get all the young guys. So go get Casey speaking at FCA. So he texted me after he got done speaking, before I spoke Friday, and he goes, hey, I'm, I met somebody. And he tells me the story. This coach at the FCA came up to him and said, Man, you did a great job. What'd you say your name was? He said, my name is Casey Lynch. He said, do you know Mike Lynch? And Casey went, I've met him. All right, once, twice. We've, 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 we've met each other. He said, that's my dad. And the coach, he said, just gets this look over his face. And Casey's like, man, I hope he doesn't hate you or something. He gets this look and he said, I had Mike, when he was 24 years old, come to speak to the FCA at my old school and now you're 24 at my school. I think I need to retire. All right, that's what the coach said, right? But the principle in 1991 and the principle in 2019 is true. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That does not change when you're not a teenager anymore, ladies and gentlemen. When you're 40, it matters as much as it did when you were 15. We ride our kids pretty hard about their friends. Can I get a question for you? How are your friends? Do you have a circle of people in your life 
that push you towards Jesus? Do you have a circle of people in your life that make you better? Because I'm going to tell you this, they're either going to push you towards the Lord or they're going to push you away from the Lord. That's a fact. Look at what he says in the passage. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So we know three things. One, some decisions are too important to make alone. You're going to face things that you're going to have to walk through. You need people around you that help you make those decisions. And here's what I've learned. You never know when you're going to have to make those decisions. So let's, let's do this real quick. How many of y'all did not, did not grow up in Kennesaw or Ackworth? Golly. How many of y'all did not grow up anywhere in Atlanta or Georgia? Raise your hand. How many of y'all grew up in some other part of the United States? Raise your hand. All right. So here's what we know. We don't have a small group of people put around us like people used to. So when my mom grew up, her little house sat on old Highway 85 in Sonoy, right? And I met a lady last service whose son lives on that highway now. But anyway, so old Highway 85 in Sonoy. Across the street was her sister, my, well, my grandmother's sister, her aunt. To the right was her aunt, and to the left was where her parents had grown up. So on one little road, they had generations of family. Guess what you did back then when you had a problem? You'd go to one of your family members. How many of y'all don't live within two hours of your family? Raise your hand. So what do you do? You drive down 41 and see Madam Ann the Psychic? I mean, what, I mean, what, are, what are we? Well, she's been there for years, you know? I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, so, I mean, what do you do? Where do you go? What do you, who do you talk to? Let me tell you something. I'll tell you this about my decision-making. I better have, based on what I just said, I better have good people around me to help me. Does that decision point me towards the Lord? Does that decision point me away from the Lord? Because I'll tell you this, I will always make a decision on what's best for Mike, maybe not what's best for anybody else. There's some decisions that are just too hard, but look at the second part of that. Some difficulties are too hard to bear alone. I've learned an amazing thing in the last 28 years, almost 28 years of ministry. Trouble never gives us advance notice. You don't get six months out to prepare. You don't get a text going, hey, there's some stuff coming in your life you need to be prepared for. You don't. Trouble just shows up at your door. Can y'all agree with that? just shows up. Doctor's visit, phone call from your child, phone call from your family, phone call from a hospital, phone call from the doctor's office, text, email, whatever. Tell you, it just shows up. And sometimes it shows up and it's too much for you to bear alone. When he talked about let us hold unswervingly, that means there are going to be some days the storm is going to blow and you're not going to see it coming and if all you got's what you are holding on, you're going to be in trouble. That's why he makes the pivot in this story and he said let us, let us, because we need each other. He created man and then he said it wasn't good for him to be alone and he created woman. Eve, because man wasn't meant to be alone. God did not create us to live alone. <clears throat> so I'm a pretty positive guy by nature, for the most part. 
pretty positive guy by nature. Um, when I wake up every day, it, I, I'm always hoping for a great day and pretty excited to attack the day. I'm an early riser, get up and get going pretty early in the morning. And we hit a, I hit a storm. North Star hit a storm a few years ago that was more than I could bear. So during that, that season, um, I wasn't the same. In fact, pretty much every day I eat breakfast or lunch somewhere with somebody. Either it's one or a group or a couple or whoever. But I eat every day. Y'all look at me and go, we know you eat. Just, I don't, I don't, don't judge me. All right. But anyway, so I, I don't eat alone. So here's how I knew I was in a bad spot. I wasn't eating breakfast with anybody. And I was coming straight to my office at all my appointments in the office. I never left my office. And at lunch, I would run out and grab lunch, come back and eat by myself. I don't do that. Some of y'all do it. That's fine. I don't. I like people. I get energy from people. I don't want to see people. Coming to work was the last place I really wanted to be. I just wanted to be in the closet and sit by myself and hide. Because what I was taking on was too big for me. So I got a group of guys, I've been meeting with them. Gosh, this was, a, this was probably about six years back, seven years back. I've been meeting with this group since 2001. A group of men, literally even advertised that this group's been around so long. We got people from other churches in it, but it was my birthday that year. And I had done what I had done every other day. I was not even gonna get out to go get lunch. I'd ask my assistant, Ludell, who'd been with me for years. So Ludell, would you just, if you're out, would you grab me a bite and just bring it back to the office? I never do that. She said, sure, and so it was lunchtime and she came by the office and she said, hey, I left some stuff down in the True North Auditorium. If you'll go pick it up, and my office is up in True North, if you'll go pick it up out of the True North Auditorium and bring it back to your office, you'll need it for your lunch. And I said, yes, ma'am. I always said yes, ma'am to Ludell because if you knew Ludell, she's like the nicest lady in the world. My mama will whoop me if I didn't say yes, ma'am. So I said yes, ma'am to Ludell. And, and I got my stuff together and walked down the, and, and true, this is honest, good as truth. I didn't get up and go the way I always get to walk by people's offices. I went the shortcut. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was as low as low could be. And I opened that door to the True North Auditorium and I walked in and inside that True North Auditorium were all the men that are in my Bible study. And they threw me a surprise party. And I just stood there and I just wept. You know why? Because I needed them. And none of them said, hey, young'un, come sit on, my, sit on my knee and let me tell you what you're gonna do to perk your life up. That didn't happen. Hey, let me give you five things that'll get you out of this tough time. Nope. You know what they did? They walked up, they hugged me, they told me they loved me, they told me they were praying for me, and it was exactly what I needed. Because I was walking into something that was too much to bear alone. Go back, 2017, I was scrolling through some pictures on the plane, clearing out some old stuff, and I was just walking that little journey of 2017. I didn't know that I was going to lose a mom and dad within three months. I had no idea. Totally healthy, totally fine, and boom, they're gone. And I remember standing at that funeral home in Fayetteville, Georgia, and lines of North Star people walking in the door. Lines of many of you. You drove an hour to come and hug me and tell me you love me. I love you enough to tell you this. You're not going to get that from just attending on Sunday morning. 
You only get that when you're face-to-face with somebody or in a group of people. Life's too hard to do it yourself. But look at the third part of that. And some desires are too strong to resist alone. Sometimes we're in that place of life, we're about to go do something that's going to totally change our family, totally change our business, totally change our life. And my question for you is this, do you have the people in your life that stand between you and doing something you're going to regret? Or are they the kind of people that are pushing you to something you're going to regret? How many people do you have to run through to throw away your life? If your answer is, Mike, I don't have anybody, I'm telling you, today is like the SOS for you. Don't do life alone. God created the church for us to have a system. I love what I, and this is the honest to goodness truth. I love what I do. I look, I can't wait for Sundays. But if you made me choose between this and Meeting face-to-face in a group, I will always choose face-to-face in a group because that's where relationships are built. I don't get to build relationships with all on Sunday. You know me. I don't know you. That is the, and God put it in place so we go, I'm stronger because of this group of people around me. I remember back when I was teaching students, Steve was sitting down here and we was teaching, they talked about the redwood trees. The redwood trees out west, they do not have deep roots. They do not go down, but they run along the ground. But what they do is they interlock with the roots around them and together they're strong. Together they're strong. That's true of the church. Point number three, ready? We're all busy. Ultimately, I got to choose what's squeezed out of our schedule. Everybody sitting in the sound of my voice, nobody sitting here is like, hey, I'm not busy anymore. Everybody's busy. Even if you're retired, you're busy because your kids are dropping their grandkids off at your house, all right? And so you're busy. You're uh, taking your kids. A lot of you aren't retired. You're rewired. You've begun a whole new career. I had a good friend in the last service just sold his company. He's, he's at that new stage of life. But you don't, you're not not busy. You're busy. But we've got to make a choice. What's going to go into my schedule? So ask this question. I want you to write this down. What's most important to me? If whatever's most important to me becomes the big boulder I put in my life, then all the other things fill in. They used to do a time management thing, and they, they did it with an aquarium. They put an aquarium in, and they would take big rocks. What are your four big rocks? You'd put the rocks in the aquarium, and then you'd put the sand, all the other stuff we got to do. Well, the sand would sift in amongst the rocks. But if you put the little things in first in this aquarium, if I poured the sand in first, I wouldn't get one rock in there because it takes up all the room i got to figure out what's most important to me. I can say I need people, but unless I schedule that I need people, it's intentionality, right? i got a question for you today. How important is it for you not to do life alone? Look at what he said in Hebrews 10.25. Don't neglect meeting together. As some are in the habit of do it, but encourage one another. I heard a guy say this years ago, you know how somebody needs encouragement? They're breathing. If they're breathing, they need encouragement. Encourage each other. 
this world, I've learned, will not encourage you naturally. How many of y'all cut on the news to feel better about life? Any of y'all? Hey, I'm just going to cut on the news. I know everybody in Washington's getting along great, right? They ain't even talk to each other. I mean, it's the, it's the craziest. Oh, my goodness. It's the craziest thing. It's not an encouraging world that we live in. You don't walk in the office and people pull you aside and go, man, I'm just excited to have you. That's just, we feel discouraged more than we feel encouraged. Giving and receiving encouragement must be on purpose because it rarely happens by accident. Can I just be honest with you? You need people. And we set up a system here called groups to help you. So you may go, Mike, I don't like anybody at North Star. I don't want to meet with anybody here. Then go to a church that you like the people. It's, I give you permission. It is okay. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'll be thrilled that you went somewhere and got connected. If you're a high school student, a middle school student sitting in this room, man, get connected with other high school or middle schools. We've got this morning probably close to 250, 300 high school or middle schoolers meeting this morning. We got college students who meet on Tuesday nights with Sellers and Hannah and their amazing wave, and they break them up into groups. We have singles that meet. We have a 20 somethings group that these guys lead, the crews lead. We have a divorce group. We have, we have women's groups, men's groups. We have all kinds of groups. Monday mornings, I have a scout, a pro scout college coach, college baseball coaches Bible study that meets every Monday morning at 9 a.m. online. I have guys from all over America in it. It's amazing. You know why? Because they need each other. They're about to enter a world. They're never home. They're never home. They're always on the road. They need each other. They need each other's encouragement. Don't do life alone. My prayer is your 2019 is pivoted because you made the choice to do it with somebody beside you. Would you pray with me? Father, I know this. I couldn't do it alone. I'm not smart enough, and I just don't know enough. And you didn't think so either. There's something about the energy from people. There's something about the strength from others. There's something about what you did for them you could do for me that encourages me to plug in and, and keep rolling and keep going. So Father, my prayer over our people this morning is this, is they won't do life alone. There will be a church that's stronger because we're intertwined with each other. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for your word that's just never dull. It's always fresh. And it's always what we need. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would y'all join me? Let's give the Lord a hand for our time together this morning.